All the sports are plays. All sports are plays. All sports are plays. We're making a place, we're talking again, get you to the days We're high in the court, they're dying in the lane Variety topics, living the same All presentations, sports information In the airways, taking the nation All sport, all plays, they're working your faces Grace up the field, so tie the laces All sports, all plays Hit it too fast. Welcome back to He's on Fire podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Jay, how are we doing today? I'm doing all right. How about you, Evan? Man, hanging in there. And we are joined today by Joe Healy. Joe, how are we doing? Hey, I'm doing great, buddy. Hey, fellas, how you doing? We're doing good. It is the midst of bowl season. I'm excited for tomorrow's game. I'm less excited than I am for, you know... Even the last time we were in the Vegas Bowl, which was three or four years ago when we played uh, Fresno State, it just seems like bowl season is coming down a little more every single year. I listened to you and Brad on uh, Speak of the Devil's podcast talk quite a bit at this at length, and you guys were basically saying it's more like a, a preseason game, if you will, or a glorified not Pro Bowl game, if you will, but kind of like the way they play the Pro Bowl or the NBA All-Star game. It's just kind of throw the ball out there, see what happens, and it doesn't really matter anymore. Do you get the sense that it doesn't matter, or do you get the sense around the program that, no, this is still a bowl game, this is still a thing we want to win, and it does matter? The thing about it is there's just a lack of consistency, and I think that's across the board because you know you have some teams where players aren't opting out. You have some where they are, and that's – I mean, that's a whole topic that I'm not going to fault players for doing so now to certain degrees, which we'll probably talk about, uh, you know, so that that's what's different about it is, again, you'll have whole teams, especially ones that are coming maybe from the group of five or things like that, where it's there's more on the line and more for them to establish. So you have them highly motivated, but then you might have a power five team, especially something like, you know, an ASU where. They fell a couple games short of what their ultimate goals were. So, again, it doesn't mean quite as much. Right now we're looking at a game where that's happening with an Oregon team that's getting smacked around by Oklahoma, you know, that is not playing at the at 100% there. So um, it, it's it's just weird how things have transpired in the last five years or so because it's still a pretty new thing, you know, the, the opt-outs and, and so on. Uh, you know, I think back to 10, 15 years ago, uh, you know, a postseason game was like a treat. It was a bonus, and you got up for it. I remember, you know, an ACU beat Purdue in the Sun Bowl. And Sun Bowl is not a massively prestigious game. That was, that was awesome. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? It was a great yeah. game. Like, that was I was fired up for that. I, I was on the sideline because I was working at ACU at the time for the Insight Bowl against Rutgers. I mean, you look back at it, and you think if you put that bowl game, you know, you transpose it into today, people wouldn't care that much. So that's the thing that's tough about it is it's just not – what it used to be and it's just the business nature of the sport and it's uh, the sad thing is is that's it's pretty much here to stay is it watered down you know before before we get into it i just uh i want to pop this open so i don't uh, annoy anybody with it or throw anybody off track but i just wanted to it's still it's still holiday break i wanted to enjoy a nice drink while we have this conversation so i'm going to be pouring myself a, a belgian white ale here so but is it watered down is the the bowl the bowl game the bowl madness you know all that stuff watered down i mean did you watch middle tennessee tech play whoever technical institute <laughs> you, you know what i mean yeah i mean my finger's been way off the pulse this year which is which is you know kind of strange but 
uh, you know, that's another thing that's different about it. I mean, I remember days, you know, 20, 30 years ago when there were what, like, I think 18 games, something like that. So now it's everybody who's at, at least 500 and, you know, with COVID and other things, you're getting some teams below that that are getting into bowl games. So, and that's fine. And it's cool to get other teams a chance to play and, and more football is better than less football. So that part of it, as far as the amount of teams that are involved, um, not nearly the biggest issue when it comes to all this, but uh, it's a tough deal because when you want to watch the best of the best, I mean, hell, we're going to be sitting here on New Year's Day about to watch the Rose Bowl, and you have an Ohio State team with some of their best players that have chosen to opt out of the most prestigious football. I mean, outside of the Super Bowl, you ask somebody to name a prestigious football game, they're going to say the Rose Bowl, right? I mean, I, I, I just don't get, I don't get that train of thought. So. It just takes away some of the value of it because and you get Kenny Pickett for Pitt, who's playing in a New Year's game. He's not going to be playing. And again, I get folks have to protect their future and their, their pro prospects. But as a college football fan, man, that really takes away from it when you have a team that's worked the entire year, win their conference, and you know they're going to go play with their backup quarterback. And I mean, that's just it's just it's just a sad state of affairs. Yeah, I completely agree. I used to. When I was single in my college days and even afterwards, I used to wake up on Saturdays early, make a whole bunch of bacon, enjoy a cocktail in the morning, and I'd watch football all the way until Arizona State was done at you know 1 a.m. the next morning, whenever that was. And when it came to bowl season, oh, I had my DVR set. I was ready to watch as many games as possible. In the last three, four years, it's just become less and less and less prevalent. I'll watch the Rose Bowl. You know, I might go out, watch the Outback Bowl. Obviously, I'm going to watch the as many New Year's Six Bowls, but all the other bowl games, it just it just feels like let's get to the bowl game and deal with everything else after the fact. And I remember even Todd Graham and Dennis Erickson speaking about it. They said it was more important to get to the bowl game so that we had these extra 10 to 14 practices for all these yeah. young guys. And now it's like, well, now we have this game for all these young guys to play in because you have the transfer portal portal opening up and being free agency. So not only are you going to deal with people graduating, not wanting to get injured, you got all these transfer players that are going to leave right after the season and not stick it out through the bowl season. So now it has become the, the preseason, the, the post preseason bowl game, whatever you want to call it. It's just not as fun either way. I'm looking forward to Arizona state making it. Cause for me, and I'm sure for you, it's important to us. It's fun for the fans. It's important. I want to get a ninth win. When was the last time we got nine wins, right? It's been a quite a few years. We need to see some consistency out of Jaden Daniels. So him coming out, having a great game, I think is important just for him moving forward and the public perception of Jaden Daniels, who quote unquote, can't throw for 300 yards. And then you want to see a guy like Daniel Nagata go out and have 120 yard, two touchdown game. How awesome would that be to see him do that? And then see a defense just stuff. Um, oh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Braylon Allen. Wouldn't it be great to have all these guys that were out chose not to play? You get young guys coming up, and he ends up with 68 yards or something. Those are the storylines that I'm looking for going into the game, the things that I'm really excited about. Herm Edwards, I want to ask you about him and what everybody thought should happen, isn't happening, and him being fired. So him coming back and winning this game, I think it's very important for Sun Devil Nation as a whole. Um, what are your thoughts? What are you going to be looking at for the game tomorrow? And then talk about uh, Herm Edwards a little bit at the end. 
Yeah, it's. I think it's tremendously meaningful. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of fans that are disappointed that the season didn't result in a division title or a conference title or Rose Bowl or any of those lofty goals. But there's still a lot on the line. Like you mentioned, nine wins is not something that happens all that often around here. If they were to get to nine, I think that that would be, uh, gosh, something like only the fifth time this century with nine or more wins. You got three 10-win seasons and AC won nine uh, in 2004. That Sun Bowl we're talking about, that was their ninth win that season. Uh, so that's something, again, doesn't happen all that much around here. Uh, and how it will need to be done if it's done, Wisconsin has the number one total defense and number one rush defense in the country. That is a severely tough matchup for ASU. Uh, losing Rashad White due to an opt-out, Chip Trainum transferring to Ohio State. Uh, Daniel Ngata has a ton of talent, and I've always wanted to see him get more time going to be his opportunity that's a lot to throw onto Mm -hmm. onto his plate there to play that defense and wisconsin to my knowledge at least at this point right now which you know day before the game you think it's not going to change they don't have anybody opting out they don't have any marquee transfers at any positions uh they have a safety that got hurt in the the season finale so he's out but other than that all those guys that made up that number one defense they're playing in this in this game so jane they're gonna they're gonna let Jaden Daniels throw as much as possible until he proves that he can. So if he can do that, you got a lot of things that are going to send some momentum or have the opportunity to send momentum into the off season. If Jaden Daniels has a good passing game, that's going to let a lot of people, uh, you know, breathe a little easier about the future for him. Uh, if Daniel Ngata is able to have a, a solid game, then that's something that you feel like, okay, Ace, you can offset the losses of the running backs that uh, won't be on the roster next year. Uh, you have some of the younger players on defense because you've got, three starters on defense that are that are opting out in the, the two starting cornerbacks and Darian Butler. So again, you're going to have the guys that are coming back. A lot of that's there aren't really a lot of outgoing seniors that are playing in this game. There are a few Tyler Johnson, DJ Davidson, Kellen mm-hmm. Deesh. There are some there, Curtis Hodges, but uh, you know, the majority of what you see on the field coming up tomorrow is going to be what's coming back next year. So that's a good opportunity. But like you said, yeah, it's something that these bowl, a lot of these bowl games are really becoming kind of a, glimpse into the next season a look into the future because some of those it's almost like anybody who's got any sort of pro prospect has a higher chance to opt out like i was legitimately surprised that dj yeah. davidson and tyler johnson are playing um it, it used to be kind of the first round picks then the kill harry's those sort of players that makes sense they don't play in a bowl game uh obviously a little bit different these days and it's not just with asu uh wisconsin is probably in the minority as far as having their entire team playing in the game so as far as that's concerned, you know, it's, it's, again, what I'm looking for for tomorrow. You got to try to be creative offensively. I, I, I'm curious how much success Ace is going to be have, having just traditionally running the ball, so they're going to have to be creative with that. I want to see Ricky Pearsall get a lot of touches, like in the double digits, because they've used him on the ground a little bit, and obviously he's been the most consistently reliable pass catcher at wide receiver, uh, and, he, and he went out on a high note, at least to end the regular season with the game against U of A, so... Uh, that's someone I like to see get involved uh, even more than he has been defensively. That's if ASU is going to have a, a chance in this game, it's going to be with the defense attacking because they've shown the ability to shut down some teams, and uh, you got to do that. It's a tough Braylon Allen is a, it's a tough like he's a 17 year old, 240 pound, six foot two running back that ran for over, over 100 yards in seven straight games. So I mean, the dude is just a beast. So it's a it's a tough matchup for the the players at ASU will not have on the field. Um, now, as far as Herm Edwards and the present and the future, 
there's nothing. His his status to me is just completely predicated on the outcome of the NCAA investigation. And so since there's absolutely nothing that's been conclusive about that, ASU, you know, isn't forced to, nor really should they make a change because I don't know what you're going to get in his place with that still lingering over things. It would be hard to attract a, you know, a high caliber replacement head coach when you say, yeah, well, you know, we may find out in a year that we have scholarships reduced or, you know, recruiting sanctions or bowl interesting, you know, that sort of thing. So um, they're right on the precipice of what I've felt is the bare minimum of a even remotely successful year, which would be nine wins because ASU won, you know, we're throwing last year out the window. ASU won eight games in 2019. So if you win nine this year, okay, that's basic math. One's, you know, nine's better than eight. Again, not everybody's going to be seven seven wins in 18 eight wins in 19 and a bowl win last year doesn't count and this is potentially nine wins in a bowl win so it'd be small increments now a lot of folks were expecting kind of that you know rocket jet fuel trajectory to take them into the rose bowl and there was a point in the season where i was on you know on that level as well but you mean uh, first half of utah there you go yeah up until i i for the life of me i don't know what in the world i i like that, whatever happened at halftime was like a program killer. Ro- Rob Likens came back. Rob Likens yeah, came back, and he, and he dude. I'll let you joke about. It. I love the dude, but but yeah, I mean the off. I mean, just like things were from from that point forward. Like the, the uh, it was, it, it's impossible to put into words because it was just a team that just didn't have the fire. I've ne- I've never seen a team from one half to the next uh, just turn things off. It was. I mean, obviously Utah turned into an incredible team and with everything that's going on, especially, you know, with what they're doing and with what Ohio State's doing. I mean, they're, I hate to say it, but I mean, you got to think they've got a really good shot on New Year's Day. So, um, so yeah, you, you know, if, if, if ASU can go out there and get a win, that's a, that's a real big deal. We still don't know what the future holds because if the NCAA drops a hammer on them at any point, then you got to do what you got to do. Uh, that is the, the most nerve wracking and annoying and frustrating thing about this whole circumstance is I mean, we've seen these NCAA things go on in various sports and teams. Obviously, U of A and others have had it in basketball and that sort of deal. It takes years. I mean, there's no guarantee that it'll be resolved by this time next year, you know? And and that's that's not good, and that's where things start to take uh, an even greater nosedive because recruiting gets impacted. And yeah, you can cushion that blow if you have one year where you're impacted, but if you're, if you're st- stacking those up back-to-back, then that's – something that takes a while to to get going so you know i i was never surprised that nothing happened with coach edwards because it's just like what can you do at this point so it's the ace is kind of stuck in outer space right now until until something happens suck it up right we just gotta suck it up and deal with what we can deal with at this point and that's it's frustrating as an asu fan you know you're you're more uh into the program than i am i have more of the outsider looking in but been a fan for many 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 years and i'm sure there's many fans out there that can speak to you know things like this i mean a lot of people wanted her medwards gone just because of the way you know the year four is supposed to be that year that you are supposed to take a leap so you know what yeah for the record, this would be our fifth time since the year 2000 that we would have nine wins or more. And this would, our bowl record could potentially be six and nine since the year 2000, 
We're five and nine right now. This is a chance to get to six and nine and our fifth nine win season in 21, 21 years. So that's nothing to scoff at. But at the same time, yeah, we did have higher expectations. Uh, that Utah game, my wife won't li- let me live it down. She's actually leaving tomorrow to go to Pasadena with her family to watch uh, okay. the Utah game. Uh, they'll never, ever, ever let me forget about their Sugar Bowl win against Alabama in 2007 or 2008 or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but it's what you said. It was, you know, they didn't reach their expectations. They didn't get to the national championship game, so they didn't want to be there, and they were let down, and that's kind of where Ohio State is at. So I think it'd be really foolish to, for anybody to think that Ohio State's going to roll over them completely because this means the world to Utah, the world here i've been listening to uh dj and pk in the morning over here and everybody is fired up they're it's palpable here everywhere you turn you see roses it's a huge huge deal for ohio state eh, it's another season right yeah. so anybody that thinks that ohio state's going to roll over them which they could don't get me wrong they could i just think you're kind of kidding themselves and i think it's going to be a lot better game and i honestly wouldn't be surprised if if uh Utah comes out 17 nothing or 21 nothing just right out the gate. I really wouldn't be surprised. Expect uh, Whittingham to throw a bunch of crazy plays in there, too. They got nothing to lose. They have absolutely nothing to I, lose. And I'd imagine their fans are going to travel like crazy. I mean, under the circumstance, I'm sure it's going to be a quite a partisan Utah crowd there. You know... Uh, we we actually buy quite a bit of extra tickets and stuff in case friends want to go to things out here, and we have no problem selling you know Real Salt Lake tickets or extra Utah Jazz tickets, concert tickets. We've had two extra Rose Bowl tickets. If anybody wants to go to the Rose Bowl, we got two tickets available. We've actually had a really hard time selling these, so I don't know if that's because of COVID and Omicron or anything like that, but. You know, we're probably going to end up donating them, which is for a great cause for anybody sure. that needs to go out there. But we've actually had quite a few issues selling them. And I've heard a lot of people not going to the game as well, too. Okay. Wow. I mean, that, that, that is, that's, that's I mean, perfect. obviously the reasons that you gave are, you know, are sensible, but I would have expected folks to, I mean, flock if they're okay flock with, you know what I mean? Me like on. if they're, if they're not very deeply against gathering to, you know, not, not even think twice about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Utah's a red state. They don't care. So maybe it's going to a state where they have to wear a mask and show their their COVID passport or whatever you call that. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But it's I'm surprised that I haven't heard a lot of people traveling or want to travel just in my little Utah inner circle that I unfortunately have to live through. But it is all good. So going into the game tomorrow, what are you expecting on offense overall? You already hinted to the fact that you think we're going to have some trouble running the ball against, you know, one arguably one of the better run defenses that we've seen in recent memory. Are you expecting Jaden Daniels to come out with two or 300 yards or 350 yards passing? Are you expecting trick plays or are you kind of expecting old Herm Edwards run on first down, run on second down, hope that it doesn't get the third and long? You know, it's, it's tough to say because it's kind of it, – the options are limited. Uh, we've seen a couple games for ASU this year, especially UCLA and Washington, where ASU's opponent was very, very good defensively in one key area and very bad in one in another. You know, it's like Washington had the number one pass defense in the country at the time, but their run defense was an abomination. So we couldn't throw for anything, but Rashad White had a field day. I think it was the other way around UCLA. Granted, it was early in the season. Uh, where their run defense was very good, the pass defense wasn't. That was the game that Ricky Pearsall went nuts for two long touchdowns. Yep. Uh, with this, Wisconsin, uh, you know, they're the number one defense in the country for a reason. 
and and it's not one that is skewed because of one really good area and one really bad area. So uh, just to, to kind of run up those categories of numbers, number one in the country in total defense, rush defense, rush yards per carry allowed, second nationally, only behind Georgia in, in uh, yards per play allowed. Uh, let's see, take a look here. Third nationally in passing touchdowns allowed, fifth in pass defense. That's what I was getting to there. Uh, so they've got their their top five in the nation in both both run and pass defense. So, yeah, you say number one in, in the country at run defense. Like, all right, well, then you should be able to throw on them or you're going to have to throw on them. But, oh, you just come back with a number five in the country in pass defense. So uh, you're, you're just going to have to see some sort of creativity and the hope that, that Jane Daniels can get some confidence in the pass game. Uh, you know, getting Curtis Hodges involved would be uh, a, a big deal there because he's been a weapon this season. Yes. Uh, you know, like I said, Pearsall, uh, I'm expecting to see him in a number of different ways. And and you got to make the opportunities count. You know, you can't have circumstances like we saw, uh, you know, it's more in kind of that center chunk of the season, especially that Utah game where re- receivers were dropping more passes than they were catching. So um, my hope is that Daniel Ngata brings something to the table that just surprises them. Maybe a lack of film on him can be a good thing. Uh, it's just a very tough task for anybody, even if Rashad White were playing in this game, for him to go against the number one rush defense in the yes. in the conference. Again, even if AC had their full stack of running backs, that'd be different. And, and O-linemen, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they're going to be down. You know, you've, you've got Donovan West that's out of the game due to injury. You've got Jarrett Bell slated to start at center. Uh, so, I mean, offensively, it's going to be it's going to be a tough day. I mean, there, there, again, there's really no area where you say that ASU has an advantage. You know, the offensive line should still be able to hold up pretty well. Um, but, man, Wisconsin is just they've, – they've got some players at, at, at all levels. They've got this linebacker, Chanel, who was the conference the linebacker of the year and a second-team All-American, uh, averaging over 10 tackles a game. They've, they've just got – they've just got dudes at pretty much every position on defense. So, um you know, Zach Hill's going to be tested. The players are going to be tested. Uh, Jane's going to have to make some good decisions. He's, he needs to take care of the ball. It, you know, if he kind of gets back to that bad habit that he had for that stretch of games over the back half of the season where he's just good for a, one interception a game like he was, then, uh, you know, that's that's going to be trouble because ASU needs to take care of the ball. And not only that, but they really need to force some, you know, we'll talk about this on the defensive side if we go there, but really need to, to be advantageous in forcing, not only forcing turnovers and not only having a turnover advantage, but uh, trying to do so and make big plays out of them. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I do expect a few different things, a few different recalls. I'm hoping that Herm Edwards can, you know, loosen his reins a little bit on Zach Hill and Zach Hill can kind of do whatever he needs to do to get the offense moving. And maybe instead of running a couple of draw plays or screen plays. He'll actually want to go downfield a little bit more as well, too. So hopefully he takes the chains off him, her, her Edwards, I mean, and they can just, just go out and ball, just go out and play. Cause we've been waiting for that breakout Jaden Daniels game. And that would, this would be a wonderful game to let that happen. So before we go on the defensive side though, uh, JJ, uh, do you have any, any questions for Joe going into this game right now? Um, not necessarily questions. It's just like, like it's more like concerns of what we've seen this ASU team uh, do, just the in- inconsistency, the the lack of urgency, uh, and it all starts with Jaden Daniels. At, That's uh, a good at one. The end of yeah. the day, um, 
he's been lackluster in some moments and then uh like superstar ish in some so it's just like i don't know how this game is going to go tomorrow um uh, like you said joe uh wisconsin's one of the best defenses in the uh at, like in the ncaa um you, like you can't necessarily run on this team they only allow 65 yards a game of of running <laughs> and then passing is it's just as skewed so and 16 uh, points overall i mean yes yeah 16 points overall so i like i don't know what herm has draw, like drawn up but you know i i'm concerned really but like this is uh, jaden's game to really show out and flor- like flourish and i hope herm doesn't have him on a tight leash and uh, like you know I like i'm a strong believer in just balling out i get the whole uh like protecting your future sort of thing i'm not gonna play in the bowl games and stuff uh like i do get it but like i like i'm an athlete myself like i was at one point and i think most athletes can relate like you know you you want to perform and you want to do the best that you can to up your uh uh, uh up your status and so it sucks uh that uh trade him transferred and uh but hopefully uh, uh nagata can uh uh, uh, is uh, Nagata playing or White or or, or both of them? N- N- Nagata, Nagata, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Hopefully Nagata has a uh, a good game, uh, like a breakout one. But I'm I'm just more concerned that uh, either ASU is going to get dog walked or best case scenario, uh, it's going to be a tight game. It's going to come down to who wins in the second half. <laughs> I hope it doesn't come down to special teams. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my hope, you know, regarding Jane Daniels is that there's there really is no uncertainty. You know, he's coming back. They're clearly not going after a marquee transfer at quarterback. Uh, there were, you know, rumors of his possibly transferring or whether AC would go with the direction of, you know, Spencer Rattler or whatever. Those kind of things were swirling around in the later part of the season. So you come into this game and – it's it's weird because in the same sense that there is a lot on the line, in another sense, you, you can kind of play with the nothing to lose mentality in some regards. Like if you're on offense, all right, screw it. Let's let's give it a shot. Let's try things that we haven't tried because uh, you know, if you if you happen to drop the game, then then so be it. I, I mean, I you know, it's there's with all the other things that are going on and the fact that it's you know, a, a mid-tier bowl game the difference between winning and losing is not something that is going to completely shatter the fan base. Now, granted, if you go out there and, and, you know, you get wrecked 49 to three or something like that. Okay. That's, that's not the narrative that you need. Um, But I don't think it's an excuse or a reason to play too conservatively or too tightly, you know, don't, don't play not to lose that sort of thing. Um, You know, be, be aggressive in some regards. It just seems like whenever we had a big game, minus the Utah first half. Not only did we shoot ourselves in the foot, which we did all year, but we just, again, it feels like we handcuffed the offense, right? And the games we had nothing to lose. Uh, Arizona game, Washington game, hell, the USC game, it looked like things were just rolling, especially that Stanford game on Thursday or Friday night. I think it was Friday night. We were just rolling on things, right? But when it came to the big games, when it came to Utah, when it came to having to answer against Washington State, nothing was there, nothing worked, and we didn't have the – JJ, what what did you call it? The sense of urgency? 
it yeah. never seemed like we had that this year. Do you think that was just that term's makeup and they're taking off, you know, they're feeding off the head coach? Or what do you think that is? I mean, do, do you agree to a point? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always been an M.O. of his is to kind of play it in the pro type of thing where you keep these games close. That's why ECU yeah. has just had this unbelievable amount of one-score games, at least it did entering this season. I haven't run the numbers, including this season, but uh, across the conference, ASU was way ahead of the rest in terms of the amount of one-score games that have happened in, in you know the last two-plus years since uh, since Herm came in. Uh, you know they've had some success with that. I think there were something like nine and ten. I believe the the number stands out to me that they played yeah. nineteen games over prior to this season. There are obviously some this year. So uh, one this year, one, one one possession game this year, which is crazy to think about. Which is the Washington game, but yeah. Oh, so uh, you know you you have scenarios where they get out of hand. You know the Oregon, the, obviously the Utah game, Washington State, Oregon State. I mean you throw those games in there, and and those are difference makers. So. You know, again, when you're when you're playing uh, with limited options, I, I yeah, who knows? Maybe we see some wide receiver that we haven't seen, and somebody gets a shot and just take one downfield. Maybe it's the only snap the guy's going to have for the game, but give it a shot, Make see it if count. it works. You know, yeah. uh, I, I I see no problem in some experimentation. Uh, you know, it's like I said, there are things on the line, but it's just not that scenario where. You know, a, and I hate to be moral victory guy, but if ASU comes out here and is competitive in this game, I think fans should be to an extent all right with that and just let that be. You know, it's not a good thing, but it wasn't a terrible thing um, because I'm, I'm, I'm just the, the strengths of Wisconsin, you know, really are concerning given where ASU is limited personnel wise. So, yeah. Yep. You know, yeah, you just want to see him let it fly. But yet, they're only a six-point favorite. JJ pointed out in the in the private chat. Yeah, Wisconsin is only a six-point favorite. Which I, I mean, I, I kind of insane. Don't understand that. I honestly don't because uh, you know they, yeah, they dipped a little bit at the end. Of this. I mean, they had a seven-game win streak, and then they lost to Minnesota, which you know was a very and good beat team. ranked teams, by the way. Yeah, they beat yeah. Iowa. You know, like like yeah, they had that rough yep. start. They finished. They started what like one and three, something like that. Uh, but they're but they're playing. You know, Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame, teams that are that are pretty high levels. So, uh, you know, the quarterback play for them is very iffy. But they don't need their quarterback to do too much. So uh, that's going to be a thing. You know, the, the quarterback numbers and tendencies. There, Mertz is not a runner, but as far as passing numbers and accuracy and things like that, fairly comparable with him and Daniels. So. Yeah, that that six point spread. That's um, man. Um, I would it's wild. I'm not it? a big betting guy, but I, you know that would be looking pretty good. I'd feel pretty comfortable with Wisconsin covering covering that, to say the least. Ooh, so you just said it right there. So you kind of touched on some defensive things, and I think I know where you're going to go with this because I listened to most of your most recent podcast with Brad. And it just looks like we got a lot of young guys that are going to be able to go out there and just, again, let it fly. And whatever happens, happens. Obviously, everything starts with Braylon Allen. You know, everything starts and ends with him. If you can hold him to under 100 yards, we're going to have a pretty damn good chance of winning. You know, we, we talked about Graham Mertz just a few minutes ago, but he has very similar numbers to Jaden Daniels. Uh, nine TDs and 10 interceptions versus 10 and 9 for Jaden. And he has just over 1,800 yards, and Jaden has about 2,100 yards. So they're fairly similar. 
I'm not too concerned about that, even though we are going to be missing a Chase Lucas and uh, and Jack Jones. Are you worried at all about we know about Braylon Allen we know about what he's done and we got to stop him. But are you worried about Wisconsin letting it fly at all on our DBs that are unproven to a point? Uh, I would, I would, I, that's a possibility, but if I were Wisconsin and, you know, offensive coordinator and the, the folks making those decisions, I would watch the ASU film on what tight ends have done. They've got a first team, all big 10 tight end, Jake Ferguson is their, one of their leading receiver. Uh, that's, you know, Wisconsin does, they, they're a team that has a very distinct identity. I've been talking about Utah. They remind me of like a Utah or kind of like Stanford used to be. You know, they, they always have a very good running back. They will find one and they will make a superstar out of anybody. They're always going to have a massive and talented offensive line. Everybody on their offensive line got some kind of all-conference honors this year. And they they very much more often than not have a very talented And they go out and get end. steak after every game, yeah. Exactly, right? So, yeah, or a bunch of cheese or something like that. Uh, so, <laughs> this, yeah, so if ASU just focuses everything on trying to stop Allen in the run game – then you you could see just another repeat of what we saw, you know, with the trio tight ends against Utah, you know, UCLA, the, uh, even games at ASU won, Stanford. I mean, the tight ends, and it's not just this year. It's just always, it seems like it's always been an Achilles heel for, for the last several years. Um, so he's not just a guy that's got some talent that, that maybe because ASU has not defended tight ends that he could have a big day. He's a guy that's already, again, a first-team all-conference caliber player that could go out and have 100-plus yards. Uh, they've got two receivers that are, you know, decent numbers in like the 30 to 40 catch range and the 400 or so yard range. Again, not too terribly dissimilar to some guy, you know, maybe like a Ricky Pearsall statistically. Uh, but yeah, I would say, again, Allen is the number one guy they got to try to shut down. He's about a 240 pounder, used to playing Big Ten football. So you're going to have to wrap him up. You're going to have to get a bunch of guys on him. He can carry the load quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, that's that's not something that, going to be easy to bring down but if you if you focus everything on him then ferguson's the guy that's that's going to concern me at tight end because again that's been an issue for asu for a very long time and the receivers are talented and they're they have seniority so to your point um the the the, the defensive backs for asu i think it's going to be davis and keon markham if i'm not mistaken are slated to be the starting corners uh, um, i like to marcus davis though i I, th- I thought he's been oh, good whenever he's played yeah oh for sure and he's and he's highly seasoned because he played, you know, obviously this year, but also the games last year when Jack Jones was out. Yeah. So he's someone that has some starts under his belt. So that's, that's not a, you know, bad guy to, to have out there, but it just, it's hard to replace the playmaking skills of a Jack Jones and no one's going to have the, the uh, experience to chase Lucas, uh, you know, expected to have both typical starting safeties back there. So that's a good thing. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's relatively simple in nature and that it's not terribly complex that, you got to try to shut down the running game, but it, it is one of those ones where, you know, he might get his, you know, it, it's going to be tough to keep him under hundred yards, but you just, you know, you don't want to be those, those back breaking ones. Uh, you don't want him third just and sevens. The, yeah, the third yeah, and all, or, yeah. or the, all, you know, these conversions and things like that, try to keep it in check as best as possible. And then you just want to get to the point where they need to throw the ball a little bit. Because again, Mertz has been a little, he's been interception prone. I, I was looking at it, his numbers are kind of skewed. I think he threw something like four or five of his interceptions were in the first few games of the season. So it's been a little bit better as it's gone on. Mm. Um, but he, I think he has also like seven or eight games under 200 yards. I mean, it, not terribly dissimilar to the back half of the season for Jaden Daniels, so stuff that we're pretty familiar with. But, um, 
you know, if you can get in, get him into some turnover situations, because we've seen ASU have success with that in the last few games, whether you're talking about, you know, like fumble returns that Tyler Johnson's had, or even like the block punt that happened against Oregon State so in pick six for Jack Jones against the U of A. I mean, you've had some playmaking turnovers or turnover type of situations happen in these in these games, and that's what ASU is going to need. They're going to have to manufacture field position and points uh, because Wisconsin is also one of the top teams in the country in time of possession, which is natural when they run the ball the way that they do. Um, so they're, they're going to have to be creative with that. And I'm looking forward to it, and I am here for it. This is going to be a lot of fun tomorrow night. This is obviously a chance for the Sun Devils to get their ninth win, which would be one of their top five seasons since the year 2000. Their sixth bowl win since the year 2000, which would take us to six and nine in that span. So this isn't just a slack game, and I think it would go a long, long way for just the perception of the state of the program for a lot of Sun Devil fans to come out with a win or at least not get dog walk, at least lose to a last second field goal or something like that. Leave us with a good taster in our mouth, right? That's what we're looking at. Cause honestly, we, if, even if we would have lost the PAC 12 championship game, that would have been considered a failure as well too, just considering everything else that's going al- along with the program. So before we switch gears to some ASU basketball, do you have a score prediction? I have one. I'm going with 34-20 Wisconsin, unfortunately, and I think we score a touchdown at the end to get it to that 20 because I just, I, I personally just don't see it right now. I'm a believer. I'm, I'm going to believe. I'm going to have my ASU stuff on tomorrow, and I'm going to go crazy. I'm, I'm smoking a meatloaf and everything for, for the game. I'm picking 34-20. Do you have a score, Joe? And then, JJ, I, I'm going to get to you with a score. I think that I went with, I mean, I'll stick with what I went with. I'm not changing it from what I said on the on the podcast a couple of days ago. I think it was 31-14. I just think it's. I mean, the, it, it's going to be tough for ASU to to come up with points. They're going to to get to me to get to 20 or higher, much less you know to to win the game. They're going to have to get some uh, you know defensive points or own field position in a few instances by by way of turnovers. So I think it's just going to be one where maybe it's a little bit close throughout. Maybe they stay competitive, you know, that we, you know, some things that we maybe like the Oregon state game where, Hey, there was a point in the fourth quarter where it could have been a one score game and they just stretched it out. So yeah, I, I'm going, I am going with the double digit win for, for Wisconsin. What, uh, what are you eating and what are you drinking tomorrow night for the game, Joe? That is a good question. Um, I bought myself some Christmas Lagavulin and scotch, but I happened to have drank all that. So I might have to either reload on that one because I, yeah, I got like life, life is hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that's like an $80 bottle. So that's one that's the only, you know, every so often good holiday thing. So we'll find some kind of whiskey. I'm sure I'm going to buddy's house. We're going to be barbecuing something. I don't think we're going the smoke range. I think folks have stuff to do where we unfortunately can't put, you know, hours into it before, before we're rolling. So it might just be normal. Normal football, barbecue, brats, burgers, stuff. I mean, not that there's anything wrong Nothing with Nothing wrong with that. Get a yeah, good brat and yeah, some whiskey. You're going to have a hell of a time. Today was my last day at my job, and I started a new one on Monday. So oh, there you go. I got nothing to do tomorrow. I do have little man because because my wife is traveling to Pasadena starting tomorrow and right. to enjoy all of her festivities with her family. But, yeah, that is my plan. JJ, what do you got for us? What, what's our score going to be tomorrow? You were very optimistic about the Cardinals this year. Yeah. So do you have any optimism coming our way or are you just going to be a Debbie Downer? <laughs> um, the six point spread is really bothering me. I, I wonder if all three of us are missing something uh, that the the uh, 
like uh, the betters are saying. I'm going to go 28-21. Uh, close game, I think, Wisconsin. Arizona State, uh, right? Uh, no, I'm going Wisconsin. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> uh, the only thing I can think of is because didn't was, wasn't there some like blurb about Wisconsin having like a COVID outbreak like on their campus and their their athletic director. There, I'm looking at their page right now. Their athletic director is going to miss the bowl game, but that was six days ago. You know, yeah. that's another thing I wanted to bring up. Let's everybody be checking Twitter tomorrow too because with the way the holiday bowl and everything went down, like God, who knows what's going to happen? So, so check Twitter tomorrow to see if it's even going to happen. Knock on wood, but go ahead, JJ. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Twenty eight, twenty one. You were saying, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm leaning towards 28-21. I think the game, uh, the game is going to be kind of close until uh, uh, end of the third, top of the fourth, and I think uh, Wisconsin might uh, might pull out and uh, just uh, secure that win. I think ASU uh, defense is going to be physical. I can't really say much about uh, the offense really if Jaden uh, Daniel doesn't have that urgency. Uh, but uh, I like Ricky Pearsall. Uh, he is a playmaker. Uh, consistently so if he's wide receiver one and jane daniels looks for him and doesn't throw up junk balls and force things i i see ace who keeping this game close guys let me pop out for a second i got something at the door but i'm gonna be right back and we'll, absolutely. we'll keep going right yeah, yeah absolutely um and while he's gone i do want to say if case hatch comes off the field at all on offense i'm going to be absolutely pissed you know- even if we're in 10-man formation, right? That means four uh, uh, four wide receivers and one back. He needs to be that back. Yeah. He needs to be back there, and he needs to be the one guarding the backside of Jaden Daniels. He needs to be the one picking up blitzes. Throw him in tight end a, a few times, for crying out loud, just for the blocking purposes. I know Curtis Hodges out, has done his thing. Dude, give him, him the ball. ball Let him score a touchdown. He better not come off the field, period. On offense, I want to see Case Hatch out there the whole time. And then on the defensive side of the ball, man, blitz the hell out of them. Evan Fields is back. You mean for the safety Uh, for the Cardinals? Oh, no. um, uh, Evan Evan Fields is the dope wide receiver that or uh, uh, safety in the back end. Yeah. He, okay. he he's back. Jack Jones and Chase Lucas, the cornerbacks are out. I'm less worried about the cornerbacks. Evan Fields is going to have a field day. No pun intended. He is the dude that's going to pick up all the slack, much like Jalen Thompson or a Buddha Baker. And he is going to be able to fly up the middle, make those tackles in space, make those tackles for losses. And he is going to have a big game. I promise you watch out for Evan Fields tomorrow. So man, I, I want this win. I really want this win. The more I think about it, the more I want it. Once we got this invite, I really wasn't too worried about it. I was like, okay, we're playing Washington or Wisconsin, whatever. We're going to go in there. We'll, we'll try to make it a game. And But the more I think about it, the more I think it's really important for this team, especially moving forward. Jaden Daniels coming back. Herm Edwards coming back. Uh, we got a new running back, Tevin White, four-star, that actually looks really legit if anybody watches any of his highlight tape. So I think he's going to be able to make a really good pair with Daniel and Gata and who knows what other transfers we can bring in. I'm not too worried about the running backs. I think the wide receivers are going to take the natural progression forward. It's all on Jaden Daniels, and he needs to come out, and he needs to throw 300 yards, man. 
throw for 300 yards this game. This is so, so important. I'm not trying to to set up, uh, you know, if he throws for 250 and we, we still win, like that's a bad thing. I'm not trying to say that or anything. I just think for the perception of everything. And, JJ, you've been on this Arizona State ride with me, and I want to talk just, you know, a couple handful of minutes on uh, basketball and baseball real quick for ASU. But you've seen the disappointment in this team. You've seen the talent. You've seen how we've been able to lose these games. From an outsider's perspective like you looking in, do you think this is a big game for Arizona State considering the recruiting violations and all that that are still out there? And for Herm Edwards, you know, perception, is this a big game for ASU? I, I, absolutely. You know, it's it's like well, like we've talked about like all season long, like, you know, ASU just isn't like one of those schools that gets the, nat- uh, the national attention and all this stuff. So you just have to pick up the pieces as you go. And, and this ASU roster uh, going in uh, into the season was very stacked from top to bottom defense and offensively. And the first uh, three, four weeks I saw Jaden Daniels, I was really impressed. And with the uh, running back uh, room as well with Nagata and Tradum and uh, Nag- uh, and uh, uh, Rashad White. Like, I then Chase Hash, my favorite player on, on this squad. Like, uh, like this team, like this, uh, this team going into the season was stacked. And it's like definitely it's been disappointing with the, the losses against Utah and BYU. Uh, uh, yeah, case my my fault, but uh, but yeah, uh, just for the reputation of you know Herm, uh, the ASU program, and then just the ASU followers, you know, like uh, they, uh, I think just everybody sort of needs this game just for mental clarity and just their mind <laughs> off uh, off uh, all the, the BS Herm has put uh, 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 through this whole ASU uh, organization. So uh, yeah, of. of you guys for sure if asu loses uh but goes out swinging and it's a very competitive game that's a, that's a moral victory they're, and they're, i think yeah so cuz the worst thing that could happen and it's it's not implausible is just apathy not yeah. people swearing and cussing and getting pissed off at a game that you you should have won or whatever the case may be is that people say yeah they're down 14 nothing 6 minutes in the game this is what i saw coming i'm going to go do something else and for the next eight months of time, that narrative is what prevails in addition to things with the, the NCAA. So the uh, there are folks that are probably going to be apathetic until proven otherwise because they gave up at a point I'd say is premature, but they did. So, uh, again, it, it, you're going to have some negative people. Um, and that's, that's what you want to – because that's obviously yep. worse. You want to see some kind of fire be, be either – excited about it or be mad about it, have some energy. But when you're just in that gray area of, of apathy, that's, that's, that's a problem. And that's very, yep. yeah. I, I don't know if you heard while you were gone. I don't want to see case hatch off the field on offense. He needs, if there's if we're doing a 10 man formation with four wide receivers, one tight end and one running back, he needs to be the running back back there. Even if they don't plan to run it off, he needs to be the one blocking, even put him at tight end. I know Curtis Hodges has been good, but put him there. I think Evan Fields is going to have a huge, huge day. Cause when DJ Davidson, and the big boys up front are there, the, the linebackers have been a little on the iffy side. He can fly up there. He can make those tackles for losses, those tackles in space. I think he's going to have a, an amazing day. And then I just don't want to see us going down at any time in the game. And we're going to, and her meta just be like this. Yeah. 
That's what I don't want to see. I want to see some damn fire from that sideline. So we'll see what happens. We kind of know the narrative of ASU, but, you know, I still believe, and there's no reason why we can't go in and we can't take that W and get our ninth win of the season. So moving on to Arizona State basketball, we've been on a a weird cancellation game before Christmas. COVID things going on with UCLA and USC, so we haven't been able to see the team of late, which is probably good considering we need as much practice time as possible. But what have you seen from – Bobby Hurley's squad so far this year. I've seen a lot of, you know, grit, determination, uh, fight, and some of the offensive things just hasn't worked out. Most of all with Marion Jackson, everybody kind of thought he would be the dude to go in, and he's just shooting like 20, 24.5%, 25%, something like that. He's just not having the type of season that we expected. But the the fight, the grit, the determination, the the defense has been there more so ever before in the Bobby Hurley area uh, era, excuse me. We just haven't gotten a lot of the results that we wanted so far. So what have you seen going forward with this team? Do you think that we're going to have good things to look forward to in Pac-12 play? Are we looking at a, a sub 500 team? What are you, th- what do you think, Joe? And it's such a tough call. I mean, I, I, we still haven't seen the team in its entirety and I don't think we will because if I guess is it is it official that Bagley's not going to play for the rest of the season? It hasn't been there. He expects him at some point. Oh, yeah, so you know it's kind of vague, but it's something where you almost say that you know just to kick the can down the the road a little bit. Uh, but you had all those issues in the in the first chunk of games where you had you know people that had COVID contact tracing and and you know others had some disciplinary issues that would you know you just, like a guy's out you know a game here a game there and you just you can't get that rhythm going and that's something you desperately need when you have a team that is comprised by a lot of newcomers a lot of talented newcomers but a lot of newcomers uh you know we it's it's been a weird roller coaster so far because uh i mean you had those heartbreaking games i mean i was there at that riverside oh. game guy makes oh bless water. you real and then I mean, you, the San Diego State game, you get a good look at the end, and and, and you have, if just one or two things go your way, you win that, and that's those are difference makers as well. And, you know, you're looking at a team that's – and then obviously that San Francisco game was a close one as well. Uh, things went so terribly over the Thanksgiving holiday. I mean, you look at those, and they were barely competitive in, in, in a lot of those games. Yeah. But then you get back – and then you have that, I mean, 29-point game. I mean, that Washington State game, you think, like, okay – this is really like that that day, you know, scoring 29 points uh, after having lost four in a row and all three of those games again in, in the, the Bahamas. Not I, I, I was done after that, Joe. I, I was done. But then, you know, things spin around and you get that three game stretch and you beat Oregon and then, you know, a, a GCU team. That's an NCAA team. And that's kind of a mini rivalry game in itself. And then you go on the road and you beat Creighton. You know, I mean, it's. Uh, so it's, it seems like just about anything is possible. So that's, what's so unnerving about it is because yeah, if, if you can get some of these guys going and, and someone like Jackson, I mean, I, he's not going to pull the plug on him. You know, he's someone that's just too established that you figure he's going to give him a lot of slack to be able to, to keep shooting, to try to get some rhythm going. And he helps the team in other ways. You know, he contributes, you know, is, is hell of a defender. Yeah, and you know he can rebound the ball. Like his his box score, if you take out the points, obviously that's that's a, the biggest deal. But there are other things that he's doing. Um, so if they can just get that consistency and get keep the same guys in the lineup, obviously that's been better over the you know most recent stretch of games versus the first four or five. Um, then you know they could possibly 
put something together. Now, as far as being, you know, high level competitive in the conference, I mean, you've got a few teams that are really way above the rest. So ASU is going to need to need to take care of business, which obviously didn't look too good in the, the early going there against Washington state. So, um, you know, it's, I, I have no idea and it's hard to even really put into words, but yeah, if, if, if you can get somebody like Jackson and some of the other players, if, 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 if the shooting can improve by a few ticks, you know, you don't have to be lights out. That's right. You, yeah. You have the, the way the defense is playing. And, and again, you have these, what I'm just looking at it now. You got, you know, they played in what three games that were either two, two one point games and one two point game, all or, or at least losses of mm-hmm. among their losses. Two of them are by one point and one by two points. You know, like, um, you got to be able to close out the close games, especially against competition that you should be beating. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm real eager to see because. You don't want it to be like a microcosm of last year, um, and the way that COVID is impacting you know sports now. Where if that throws off the rhythm even more, because obviously basketball was impacted last year, just like football was, that threw things off completely. Um, if that happens, if, if those rhythm things continue to fall out of line, it's just going to be tough for them to get it together. But if they can get some consistency, stay in the court, uh, then that then there's some hope there. They've shown flashes. I mean, that three-game stretch shows you the ability to be a, you know, competitive team in the conference, you know, maybe somewhere in the the midway range of the of the conference there. Uh, yeah, it's – at this point, it is still, still a significant unknown for sure. I completely agree. And actually, they play this Sunday. They play at Cal. I'm wondering if that was a – and so yeah, that got game? moved from it's they yeah that got moved because they had the two games they were supposed to play, um, they UCLA to play, and, and USC right yeah yeah because I remember folks you know it's it's funny in hindsight because a lot of ASU fans were uh, kind of complaining to an extent about oh you know they're playing at UCLA on New Year's Day what if ASU's in the Rose Bowl you know that kind of thing um, so yeah that got moved I, I don't know when it was supposed to have been because I think they've already I'm looking at their schedule and they've already adjusted it but yeah it was supposed to be a little bit further down the road so they bumped that that cal game up so you know they're not gonna be sitting around for too terribly long but then i mean you look at that and i mean they've only got three games in the first 13 days of the month if the schedule is correct and holds true uh and and two of you know a couple of them are at home but you know you get that it's important to get that cal game and i'm sure this is a big reason for it because you can't have them sitting out for I mean, gosh, three weeks. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And then, and then add to it. I mean, hell, they had a game canceled because of a power outage. Yeah. You know, that Florida A&M game. So um, it's uh, yeah. Showing up from all angles there, but yeah, you can't, you can't go into a U of a game, even if it's at home. Yeah. With, without having played for. Yeah. Four weeks there, which is what it would have been if you don't have that game in there. And for the record, you know, who San Francisco's only loss was to. The GCU. Go figure, huh? What yeah. before we get to baseball real quick, was that GCU game just a little I'm not gonna curse on here, say what I'm really thinking, but that was a little smug, you know, nose up to GCU a little bit, wasn't it, Joe? Yeah, you know, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh and that's interesting, you know, between them and ASU, it's one of those things where I know a lot of people want to keep the game going and I, I I'm veering like for last year, I thought I was in the camp of thinking it's a no-win situation for ASU to play them. 
now you know that they're establishing themselves a little bit more than you know so be it but um yeah it's it was good to to get that one that's that's one where you just you can't you can't lose to them you know you just just can't especially with uh them having a couple transfers from asu of course so and and a lot of local kids naturally so uh, that's one that, like this year, especially because they had Tayshawn Cherry, they had Holland Woods. Even though Holland Woods is only here for, I have uh, nothing bad to say about Holland Woods. I, I don't know what he's he a heck of a player, you know. And, and Cherry's one that I I I liked him when he was here, and I liked his fire and that sort of thing. It just was his undoing. Like I thought that he would be able to get it together, and it just didn't happen. And it's rejected. Not- <laughs> we're not we're not going to tolerate any Tayshawn Cherry talk on this podcast. There you go. <laughs> I'm good with it. <laughs> um. Real quick, and then we'll let, let you lose. Thank you so much for joining us. The ASU baseball program made a big adjustment hiring Willie Bloomquist, former Arizona State great and Arizona Diamondback legend. Not, not really a legend, but one of my favorite players. And we still have a stud in the lineup by the name of Ethan Long. You, I'm sure you've been around the program a little bit more than I have. They've had a few uh, things going on at the ballpark, uh, a few scrimmages and whatnot. Do you see any difference between his predecessor and the way Willie Bloomquist is coaching his team now? Is there anything that might stick out to you a little bit at this point, even though no games have been played? Um, I mean, it, it's it, it's more just kind of the things that are being said. Uh, you know that that he's gonna run him pretty tough from from what I've heard, uh, and and that's not necessarily to speak light of what Tracy Smith did, but I just think it's gonna be something where they're gonna try to step that up even more as far as you know practices and all preparation and that sort of thing. Like, um, are you talking about like in a in a Todd Graham sense where he's gonna be more strict with them, or, or how do you mean? Um, I, I don't know if it's strict as far as uh, conduct and behavior and that sort of thing or strict in the sense of, uh, you know, if you make a mistake, I'm going to scream bloody murder at you or anything like that. I think it's just going to be it's just going to be it's going to be tougher. It's going to be more, uh, you know, whether the practices are, are tougher or uh, that, you know, that that sort of thing. They're just going to they're, they're, they're going to come out. They're going to work them, uh, which is something that is necessary you've got a lot of new pieces you got a young guys you know the last two years they've had uh, a lot that's been lost to the draft you know they got pretty pretty wiped out this past year as far as i think just about everybody who was drafted signed um which is good for them i mean go 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 make your money mlbu uh, we're, we're that way for a reason yeah so uh you know the the infield is where the attention is going to be you know you've got uh Obviously, well, wherever they, they end up slotting Ethan Long, which you know, they could do a few things. Obviously, he, he DH'd last year. He was a relief pitcher to begin the year. That's what you know, a lot of folks kind of forget is that he wasn't even a hitter in the early part of last year. He was a closing and pitcher. he was the backup quarterback. No, I'm kidding. There you go. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> hopefully we're at the point now. I mean, I still see some of it. Hopefully we're at the point where people don't think it's the same guy because I, I, you know, you can, sometimes it's hard to tell like sarcasm and snark and things like that, but I had a lot of people who legitimately thought he was, and, and, I, and I get it, but yeah, it's not him. Uh, Hunter Haas is moving to shortstop with um, uh, Drew Swift moving on to the to the big leagues. You still got Sean mm. McClain in there. Connor Davis was uh, transferred from Auburn last year. They really like him, but he had ACL injury in fall ball last year, so he missed all the season. Uh, he's leader. He's he's a guy they're really excited to to have back there. Uh, you know, you got a few returning pieces: Joe Lampy, Kai Murphy, stuff like that in in the outfield. Uh, the pitching is where they're just really going to have to replace some players i mean they had that 
ridiculous rash of injuries that, you know, I think that three or four guys that had Tommy John surgery last year got their starting lineup wiped out, their starting rotation pretty wiped out early in the season. And then the ones that were their starting pitchers pretty much all left for the draft and signed. Yep. So, um, so you're really revamping things there. They've got some transfers. That's where I even need to familiarize myself more because some of the names that I saw out there in, you know, fall ball when I was just checking them out at some of the scrimmages are ones that, you know, I wasn't terribly familiar with. So that's going to be the, you know, that's just naturally going to be the question mark because they've got to integrate guys into the system and, and, you know, find what they're comfortable with and what sort of structure they're going to have with the pitching. Um, but they should be able to put runs on the board. You know, again, long has what it takes and he's a draft eligible sophomore. So this could be as, even though we've only got a, you know, small experience from him, it's very possible. This could be his last shot with ASU because if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to have the pro potential. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I just encourage folks to get out there because, you know, Willie's he wants to make it fun. He he knows what this program is all about. And again, I I am very close to Tracy Smith. His entire family uh, value them, consider them very close friends. So none of the stuff that I'm saying in a positive way about Willie Bloomquist is any sort of a negative comment uh, against that. You know, that was that was difficult for me to see them go and 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 to not, you know, get the opportunity really to try to put things in the in the right direction and you know that COVID season being missed with all that talent is always something that's going to just really 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 sting because um, we we started off like what 20 something to know so that was the year before 2019 they went ah, on that's they right yep. the last yeah they were, ASU was the last undefeated team in the country that year and then you bring the vast majority of those players back you lose Hunter Bishop that year but I mean you're bringing back Spencer Torkelson Alika Williams and all that stuff I mean that's why ASU for that the, the condensed 2020 MLB draft, I think it was, what, five rounds? ACU had the most players picked of any college in the country, and let alone, obviously, uh. the number one overall pick and another first-round pick. Um, you know, Gage Workman, Trevor Hover, that yeah. sort of thing. So you had a ton of talent, and they started off well. You know, they, they hit some skids early, but they were, they were kind of catching their they momentum. Were. You know, so that would have been something that – at least you would have known, you know, it, it's, it's that ultimate, what could have been situation. And you have some folks like myself that think that it could have been something very special. You have others that, you know, were, are, are a little bit more negative about it, but at least it's one of those deals, you know, kind of like, like this year, like if this football season for ASU, if COVID would have been crazy and canceled this football season, everybody would have been like, that could have been a Rose Bowl team. Okay. At least we got to see it play out and know what it ended up being. I'll, you know, yeah. to have gotten that answer for that baseball season would have been. Well, and, and I would go one step further with that basketball team as well, too, when we had, what, eight or nine wins that year before everything got shut down. Yeah, yeah. A- in in a, a row. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the ASU, it would have not shocked me one bit for ASU to go and have won the, the Pac-12 tournament there in, in 2020 when they are about to get running. But yeah, because things, things were going well. So, uh, you know, yeah, eager oh, to see Willie out there. He loves it. He's, he's passionate about it uh, beyond level. You know, that That's something that not many can match, and that's why they brought him in. And for the pro experience, you know, that obviously he doesn't have the coaching experience, but where that may be limited, the passion for the program, the knowledge of the program, the experience at this level playing at the College World Series, playing for, you know, what do you play, like 14, 15 years in the, in the MLB, something like that, yep. um, you know, he can – he can get that done, and the enemy's a he's a great guy. He loves ASU, hates the U of A. You know, we had him on our uh, pep rally for the alumni association. We had him and Keith Bullet on at the same time prior to the U of A game, and I mean, he just he's the kind of guy that is good to have, uh, you know, back in the program. So I'm excited for him, and I hope that folks, 
I hope that folks come out in support from day one because there are a lot of people that, again, this is not something that I agreed with, but of course there were a lot of people that were you know clamoring for a change, and the change happened. It would kind of upset me a little bit if people said, okay, well, I got the change that I wanted, but I'm still going to wait till you get back to Omaha, and then I'll really jump into being a fan again. Good point. You know? Hell and yeah. Think, and I think that there are going to be folks that have that disposition, and you know, it's tough because it's like 10 bucks to go to an AC baseball game or you can get like a season ticket, I think, for like $100, you know, and you can see. Tickets were five bucks out here free if I wore black and if I went to the Utah-Arizona uh, State game. Black on Fridays and red on other days, they were free for college baseball. Yeah, so it's something that, I mean, it, it, it costs about as much to get a beer at the game as it does to get in the game. That is not an exaggeration. Uh, they're like $9 beers, but, you know. Um, so I, I hope that folks embrace it because, again, there's a whole talk for another time. But the mentality with college sports is if you you know if you want your team to excel and to be great and 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 to grow, you have to support them as the starting point. You can't wait for them because if people if everybody can sit around at home and wait for things to happen, that's not how it's done. So Auburn I, I can go four and eight and they'll sell out every game. Yeah, or you know you, you see programs like. Michigan when Rich Rod was there and it was a, an abomination, but they bounce right back and get things in a positive direction. You know, those ones can withstand some, um, you know, they, they can absorb some damage. So I, I just love to see it. It's a fun thing. I mean, that, man, what's, what's not to like out there. Muni is a beautiful ballpark. You know, once you get, it's, it's a little chilly in the early part of the season, you know, and there in February. I mean, we had a snowstorm here, Joe. Come on. I got to wear, I have to wear sleeves or like a, like a light sweatshirt, you know, when you get into like the, like the Friday night games, when you're in the later innings and it's like rejected. (laughs) Just a little cashmere. That's it. There you go. Yeah. But (laughs) the majority of the season, I mean, it's uh, obviously the reason why everybody lives in Arizona, you know, you're having, March weather, getting out at a baseball game. I mean, come on, what's what's not yeah. to like? So, hey, when when I grew up there, nobody played football. It was a baseball and basketball or nothing, and it was mostly baseball. And my my cousin in law Raleigh Fingers, you know, uh, I, I remember going to uh, not opening day games, uh, opening day uh, spring training games as as a guest with some of those, and it was just in the air baseball is just in the air in arizona i mean anybody that's from there now obviously football is really taking over at the high school level but before that man it was baseball and basketball and that's and all ASU, it was and this year you know an interesting thing is that asu is, is going to host uh, it's going to be in scottsdale but it's the the, the pac-12 baseball tournament that is you know new this year that has not been the case is going to be over here so you know if if it's something where asu can Make a run, have some momentum. You know, you want to get some some folks out there. I, I would anticipate it's at Salt River. If it's in Scottsdale, I'm just looking at the Scottsdale, uh, Scottsdale, Scottsdale. Yeah, it's, it only says Scottsdale here is what I'm looking at. Yeah, looking the schedule, you'd think you know somewhere that you know in any Probably. event. But again, more opportunities for for folks to get involved. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you about some of the Alliance football stuff. I just have one quick uh, thing I wanted to pass by you. I totally forgot about this, and then we're going to bring on Ahmet. We need to talk about the the Phoenix Suns uh, game tonight. And, JJ, you have a great title right there, 10,000 points for Devin Armani Booker. And we're going to get into that real quickly. But I had a thought about the Alliance football. And for those of you listening that are kind of unaware of what that is, that's basically – 
you know, the SEC added Texas and Oklahoma. So there there's power conference that, you know, the evil empire that everybody needs to take down. So to combat that, the Big Ten, ACC and the Pac-12 all came together and said, hey, we're going to create an alliance. Nobody knows what that means. They came on a Zoom call. It looked exactly like you guys are seeing us here with three people on three different screens. It was a, a silly little Zoom call. And they said, we're the alliance. It was like some world wrestling federation thing that happens at the end of an episode and you have no idea what we're talking about until you know <laughs> the, the next one comes on nobody knows what this means but here's what here's what we should do college football and college sports is changing right you have the nil the transfer portal giving athletes you know all the credit in the world and giving them the chance to make money okay so let's start thinking outside the box now we have this alliance right I'm all about keeping a lot of the integrity of the of the game in itself when it comes to rivalries. You keep the ASU, you, uh, uh, Arizona rivalry. You keep UCLA, USC, Michigan, Ohio State, whatever it is. Keep those rivalries good and, and alive and well, right? Have your three or four games, preferably four. Go to an eight-game conference schedule. Go, go to four games where you play out of conference. You, pe- you play your Portland State, NAU, whoever it may be. Keep your uh, rivalry game, maybe one or two in your pack, pack 12 or Big Ten, whatever. Why not see a schedule where Arizona State, in, in a course of five weeks, travels to Louisville, plays home to Penn State, travels to Miami, plays home to Maryland, and then home to uh, UNC? Why not have a schedule like that? If we're really talking about real change and being innovative, why not just go all the way and have these games that people want to see? What's more fun, watching us play Utah, Colorado, Washington State, or going to play Purdue, Rutgers, and and whoever else you want to throw in there? So just give me your thoughts on that, Joe. And this is for all of college football. Yeah, because uh, you wonder what it's going to get to here, you know, even in maybe – five years if it's going to be 130 teams spread among like four power super mega conferences exactly uh but yeah to that point because it's it's really an attempt to to gain some national relevance and to help them in different ranking systems and things like that so of course if you're going to be playing uh you know tougher opponents i know like for the most part like an example is Utah. Utah doesn't seem to always really schedule non-conference opponents that are that terribly difficult. I mean, if they're playing Don't get BYU, me started with that topic. Yeah, so that's something where, and you know, Arizona for the most part has been in a similar boat as well. ASU's done pretty good in that regard, you know, playing some challenging teams. So it's it's all over the place. Uh, yeah, if you mandate it to where you know you put on some grid and, and yeah, you're you're playing one. Big 10 team every year, one ACC team every year. You do whatever system to figure out who it's going to be. So if you have two of those as your three or four non-conference games, then that gives you some some possibility there. And like you said, I know a lot, you know some folks are talking about it going down to like a lower amount of conference games, especially if it's this mega conference where you're never going to play them all right. or even you know a fraction of them. So what's the why do you, are you going to have a an, an attempt to just maybe miss one or two like it like you know the Pac-12 does now? So. They got to do something. Um, I, I I just I don't see the benefit if we're gonna have an alliance and we're gonna have this. I don't see the benefit of playing USC and Oregon and Utah and all these teams in the Pac-12 all the time when we have Wisconsin, Penn State, and whoever else you want to throw in just sitting on over there. I just fail to see it when we're all about innovating and being newer, better, brighter, all that fun stuff. That's yeah. just me personally. 
Yeah, I mean, they especially for the Pac, especially for the Pac-12, Joe. The Pac-12 has been down for how many years? Oh yeah. How much I mean, would you, this could potentially propel them? Yeah, I mean, you got to do something to try to, and you know, the the first year commissioner, I'm, I know, wants to make a splash, of course, and try to escalate things because you've had, you know, what two playoff appearances all time. One of them was a you know pretty open and shut loss by Washington to Alabama. You had. Oregon, the very first year they went to the championship game, that seems like forever ago with Marcus Mariota, um, just haven't really been in the equation. I don't even know if they've been like the last one out or something like that. Like usually it's pretty decisive that they're not going to the playoff, you know? Um, yeah, I, I again, the, the college football, as we knew it even like three to five years ago, you know, when we look, when we look at like, a 10 year span from like five years ago to five years from now, from Johnny Manziel to now. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, we're kind of at that midpoint now to where it's like, okay, we're seeing some of the early goings in a variety of things, you know, NIL transfer, which, you know, they have their good. They also have their bad impact on things, how those go on, you know, what the game looks like five years from now is I think going to be a wholly different thing from what we saw for decades, you know, yep. uh, and and again, yeah, part of that has to be to try to keep up with the Joneses, and that's going to be the SEC and what they're adding with Texas and Oklahoma. Though, you know, I get it from the perspective of those schools, but they're going to be they're going to be hard pressed. I mean, Texas is having a hard time competing in its own in the Big Twelve, so you throw them in the SEC, uh, it's going to be a challenge. So. They got to do something and they got to shuffle the deck. And yeah, it could look like things that are borderline unfathomable now, like stuff you do on an NCAA video game where you just, you know, change up the schedules and play who you want to play because it would be cool to go to that stadium, you know, that sort of thing. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's going to be interesting to see it unfold. That's another one of those things. But yeah, like we haven't heard anything about it. Like there's so many different storylines and, and important topics that affect ASU that are like, hey, I really heard too much about that lately. No. I wonder what's going on with that, you know? Keep that in mind, though. How fun would it be in October to be able to tra- travel to Louisville, travel to Iowa, wave at the hospital at the end of the first yeah. quarter, or you know, travel to a Miami game or even Florida State? I'd rather see Florida State, Miami, Louisville in our lineup than Washington State, Cal, and these other programs that we've been playing year in and year out. Just think about it. Just, just think about that and how fun that could be. ASU's dominated the Big Ten and, and for for a little bit in the last you know decade or so. You know. Wisconsin, Michigan State, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it may not be a bad idea. Exactly. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Where can everybody find your work? Uh, At JoeHealy42 on all social media, uh, on devilsdigest.com. Do a few things out there. And then speak of the devils, we're on uh, pretty much all podcast uh, outlets there. So check us out there and social media as well you know we've got a we dropped our bowl preview that'll still be relatively valid for another under 24 hours or so so check that out and we'll be doing next week i think we're doing our like our season award so we, we still got things going on even though the, the season's coming to an end and that'll be a lot of fun everybody give it a listen to joe you definitely stuck around a lot longer than i had planned you on but it was a great conversation i thank you so much for coming on and we'll check you next time all right joe all right fellas happy new year cheers see buddy see you joe What a great conversation we were able to have. I am really, 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 really sorry, Ahmed, that you had to sit there and listen to that the whole time, not being an Arizona State fan. But (laughs) Ahmed, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my friend? 
I'm I'm waking up from my nap. Thanks, thanks for that little nap. <laughs> you're you're welcome. It, I I enjoyed the hell out of that conversation because Arizona State is a passion of mine, as you can see with some of my old. There it is, my old school uh, uh, pennant that I got back there. Fun fact: the Phoenix Suns one right there is signed by the 1967-68 team. You can't see it because they were signed so long ago. They're all all the signatures are right on that one, including the original Phoenix Sun as well, too. Um, so sorry about that, but you know what? That was a great conversation, and I could go another two hours talking about Arizona State Athletics. But Amit, I want to turn it over to you because the Phoenix Suns had a game tonight. We finally won a game as an Arizona sports community, uh, 115 to 97, and they just looked like they weren't going to go away, the Oklahoma City Thunder, by the way. And I wanted to bring up that Rob Edwards, a former Arizona State guard, got signed, played for two minutes and scored a point, but then you also had Lou Dort playing tonight. On the other side of it, Devin Armani Booker, 38 points, becomes the seventh youngest player to 10,000 points. So I want to talk about this game. Amit, do you think it was an important game to win? Was this just kind of go out, do our thing, get out without any injuries? Did you care if we win or lost? I'm going to get you full screen and turn it over to you to, to talk about this win tonight. Yeah, no, I mean, this game was really about this team just showing their talent with the you know deficiency we had with all the players that were out they really didn't it wasn't like okay like we're just going to come out here and beat this team we're going to show you know we're better than them it was everybody was kind of coasting for the most part except Devin Booker he was he was in 2018 I'm playing a shitty team let me get 50 points um with wait, 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 wait wait you're saying that you thought the the rest of the team come out and we're just kind of like cakewalking through it yeah yeah I mean I saw Chris Paul I told you this earlier there was a lineup in the in the third quarter with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Campaign, uh, JaVale McGee, and Landry Shamit. And Chris Paul stood in the corner and didn't even do anything at all for four or five possessions straight. And I'm not I'm not saying that he doesn't put effort. I'm not saying that he's that type of guy. I'm just saying he's out there on the court. I'm like, you know, the game is close. Um, and I know the ball is going through Booker, and then the secondary option is, is Shamit at that point. And then campaign is just doing whatever he does when he's bringing the ball up the court. So, you know, I, I just think that I think some guys are coasting. I think some guys are, um, are, are, are you know, putting in effort. I think Jalen Smith is, is shown he's grown. Um, we ha- one thing we have to put on a caveat on this game is that they're playing a bunch of G leaguers. So you can't really take campaign's effort and say, well, okay, he bounced back from the previous games or previous week or two weeks where he's kind of, pushed it a little bit too hard. Shamit didn't play well in this game and he played a bunch against the same opponents. So, uh, you know, I mean, look, the, the thing about this team is that we, if you take away the right pieces, because James Jones built this team on depth, but if you take away the right pieces, things start to not fit together well. So if you take Aiden off the court with Crowder and now Cam Johnson starting, JaVale McGee starting, and you don't have Kaminsky, you don't have Nader, to fill the the wing and the in the front court positions. Now it gets a little weird, you know, and and now you don't have that defensive presence in the paint that you need for 48 minutes or at least, you know, a good portion of the game. You don't get that now. You don't get that good scramble defense cuz now you have Jalen Smith out there either playing the 4 or the 5 and not knowing where to be on defense even though he had a really good game. He blocked a, a bunch of shots um 
you know, he he was he was in good position, but at other times he's not when he's playing the four. So, you know, and then Shamit, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit down on Shamit. Um because I, I, I just I, I I it's not there. It's it's not something's not working yet. Maybe it'll work. Um, but it's not working right now for him. Um and, and I and I love to see Cam Johnson play through the foul trouble. You know, he he kept that double digit streak alive uh, on scoring points, um, which he needed to do. But, you know, overall, I'm just, you know, we needed to win this game and I thought we'd win. I didn't think we'd cover the the 15 point spread. We covered it some point, somehow at the end of the game, we, we covered it by, I think we won by 18 or 16. And then, uh, you know, I mean, Ty Jerome, man, what the hell? This guy really has a vendetta against the Suns, apparently. Um <laughs> <laughs> like and and you know the other thing about this game I'll mention is that I mean if if they really called fouls like the Sun this would have been a really tight game because Oklahoma City got fouled a lot going to the rim Ty Jerome some other guys and they didn't call those fouls but they called Booker Booker apparently all of a sudden gets the superpower treatment when he goes yeah. to the rim even though those are like basic fouls they weren't even like superstar fouls they were just like yeah he got fouled and you're shooting the ball so you call the foul um and, and JaVale McGee got a bunch of, I don't know if they're superstar fouls or what those were, but, he, you know, there was just a bunch of, like, either loose ball fouls or alley-oop ones where he got. It was just – it was a weird game. It was a weird game, and you, you knew that they would win. If they want, if they lost, it would be a complete disaster because the last game was one of those ones where it wasn't, like – if they lo- the way that they lost that game, it's okay because they should have lost that game in the first quarter, and they somehow came back. Um, and this game is, if you lose this game, that's a fucking bad loss. Like that's a, that's like a Cardinals losing the lions loss. Yeah. Facts. I, I completely agree with everything that you were saying. I must've missed it because I was busy with my own work stuff today. I didn't know SGA wasn't playing. Is he in protocols or why didn't he play ankle? He's got an ankle yeah. thing. Ankle. They played last night. That's the other Man. thing. Dude. This team played last night with a short roster. So they should have beaten them by 30. Yep. Yep. So I think what you're saying about them being just like walking through it, I completely agree because I've seen that in the last few games as well too. But JJ, give me your take. Um. Uh, yes. Uh, like I agree with Amit. Uh, like last night or uh, that Memphis game and then this game, they were sort of just walking through, uh, going through the motions and stuff. And uh, a few players kind of stuck out on the laziness sort of side. You know, yes, CP – a couple of possessions in a row but yeah shaman just hasn't been clicking as of late um hopefully uh that uh goes up soon uh I- i'm still high on shaman uh i wouldn't say high like i still have faith in him uh i think the potential is there for sure but i i really want to get oh, okay i first i'll talk about the memphis game the memphis game wasn't a big deal uh, like last minute da's out uh jay's out uh, yeah, uh, uh, Monty uh, I got pulled out as well. So it, it was a last minute kind of throw everything together. Uh, and then who's the uh, the backup coach? Uh, uh, what's his name again? Young, something Andrew yeah. Young or Steve Young or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, like, it, it's not like he did bad. He was just pulling players out too soon or too late. And it, it just kind of messed up the flow of the game. And we were down by 15 at one point. We brought it back. Book had a clutch-ass three at the end. And then – I mean, Josh we, we were down 14 with like six minutes left. 
yeah exactly so like what like what are you complaining about like booker shot was clutch he wasn't expecting to be that open and he took it and he shot with conviction he made it and then that jaw uh i put up shot you couldn't have guarded that any better without fouling him uh, yeah yeah he traveled, oh, he traveled yeah, like you... a motherfucker or sorry he, he traveled like crazy uh, on that last play you know refs are like there's nothing we can do like the refs can say like oh we messed up on the two-minute report it still doesn't change anything so uh kevin young <laughs> nick young <laughs> doesn't matter uh, but, young yeah. guy but uh like uh the memphis game wasn't a big deal and this game wasn't a big deal to me either i think this game was a big deal just for fans you know we haven't had a win it seems like in forever so uh yeah it was just mental clarity uh moral victory and then you know book seventh youngest player to hit ten thousand points which is insane i want to ask this question to you guys uh, since you guys are older than me uh by a lot like evan's about to retire and on it uh you're gonna be going down to florida soon you know but (laughs) (laughs) but uh my question is uh, is booker the best son of all time no not yet what makes you say not yet because he hasn't won it he has I would still give it to Steve Nash or Charles Barkley just because of the MVP lore. Uh, two-time MVP with Steve Nash and taking two completely different types of teams to the Western Conference Finals and his longevity of doing so and getting it to the playoffs for that amount of time. I give it to Steve Nash just because of that. He got us to the playoffs, what, six or seven years in a row and we were consistently the one, two, or three seed. Um, except yeah. for one year when we played against uh, San Antonio when we got Shaq and we were like the eighth seed or something, but he still got us to the playoffs that many times. And and there's a lot to be said for that. If we win a championship last year, I mean, some people would probably even say Chris Paul is the, the, the greatest son of all time. So I can't give it to him yet, but all the statistics and everything, they're there. I'm curious of what Roy and, and Vlogs and JV and them say in the chat as well too. Is Is he the best son of all time? What do you um, think? Before, uh, um, before you go, how close is it for you, Evan, between Nash and Booker? How close would you say it is? So, I mean, I think there's... It's another two or three years off, but it's getting close. Okay. I mean, so we're talking about, so how many teams got to the NBA Finals? So we saw Nash never got them there, even though right. we had the longevity, right? I, I look at it from a longevity standpoint, because you got to be with the team for a long period of time. Like, yeah. Charles Barkley was only here, what, five years? Well, books Jason on his like six, six or seven season. So, I mean, he's yeah. been here. That's what I'm saying. And and, okay. and Jason Kidd was only here like four or five years. Nash Kidd was here yeah. se- uh, seven plus the other two or three. So he was 2004 to, to 11 or 12. Yeah. Plus was the, here? the years before that too. Omar, I think Omar was here for like seven or eight years. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, like if you ask me right now with all the players I've seen, even with Nash, Given where we haven't been able to go, and Booker did that in his first playoff performance, I got to say Book is the best. But wouldn't you? But see, I I would credit Nash for what he did more so Nash than other players. I mean, I know Amari did his thing and, and Marion, and he needed the Tim Thomas three and all that stuff back in the day. But a lot of people would argue with you, Amit, that and and they would say that Chris Paul was the reason that we got there too. Chris Paul was injured. There was a lot of weird things that went down. I mean, you needed the Valley Oop. You needed all that stuff. But all that considered, yeah. even though it was one playoff run, you still say Book? Yeah, because Chris, Chris Paul missed the first two games of the Western Conference Finals. And Booker carried that team. 
So, I mean, and campaign you know, didn't didn't hurt as well. I mean, he had like twenty eight points a or monster something. Monster game, yeah. I mean, campaign had a monster game, but I mean, like that's where that see this is where it gets really dicey with Booker because then we we always like other other fan bases or the national media downplays Booker's accomplishments, mm-hmm. 100%. right? Yeah. yeah, and and, yeah. I, and we're this is where I'm standing on it. Like, dude, we got why why can't we celebrate seventy points in a game? Why can't we talk about this guy doing a, a forty point triple double? in the in the western conference finals or the first guy to go back to back 40 points in the finals like who cares man like the team didn't win but the guy is a baller he can't do everything right he mm-hmm. but he can he can certainly he can certainly close out games we saw him do almost do it to memphis and we've seen him do it so many other times so you know i i just the the guy is the guy is so good and he's so clutch and he's so loyal to the to the city and the community that i'm just like you know, I can see Booker being here for a long time. Nash, he left the Lakers, went to Nets, and this is beyond. I mean, this is after. You that's know, a that's a big bad bad taste Lake, in my mouth going oh, to the Lakers. The Lakers saying drops and I miss him a lot for me. Uh, yeah. So. What'd you say? What'd you say, Jay? Uh, the yeah, the Lakers thing drops a lot for me. Like uh, it, it because I I just don't know how how you go after so many years of going back and forth with them. And he you know, said it before he went. And the funny part is, I have this cons- conspiracy that him and D'Antoni went there just to tank him, because like <laughs> they both were no good there. Like they were terrible. There. Yeah. And honestly, like Nash went there and then he got paid. But if you go back and look, like at, at his career's assist record, he's one assist higher than I think it's um, John Stockton. And then he had to play ten games that season to get his entire guaranteed contract. So it makes me think that he just went there to get paid. Possibly. Mm-hmm. So like, what's your answer, JJ? So where I sit right now currently, um, you know, it's hard to argue with, you know, the whole Nash Booker <laughs> debate. You know, Nash, he spent many years here. He was very loyal here. He playoff performer, game in, game out. He Like he was consistent. He always had the team. He, he, it was a guy that was never hurt. He was very dependable and such. And, you know, it's hard to diminish that from what Booker has done because, you know, like we just experienced our first playoff, uh, you know, run in 10 years. And it took CP3 to come here, uh, but it, not just because of the potential that the team had, but the potential that he saw in Book and them working together and playing together under Monty's system. And like a lot of people like to put like a, a player's um, like achievements just on the player, not necessarily the team, the, the Nash era teams had a lot of pieces and it, it does kind of take down, I guess in the grand scheme of things, Nash's sort of, credibility like he had amari he had marion he had jason richardson uh uh, he had barbosa like uh like he had all these nice great pieces uh for many many years and booker you know he's had to kind of like dig himself out of this hole that robert sarver has put this organization in and to see just how he flourished after the 70 point game him winning the three-point contest him uh winning NBA players recognitions uh, for being an all-star and 
just kind of shutting people up and him being one of the clutchest players um, like in the league currently. And just what he did in that playoff run last year is something you can't really compare. You know, he took out the Lakers and the Clippers and like, and just basically our whole Western conference, like, like everyone that we had beef with for the last 20, 30 years, you know, the Nuggets, Clippers, Lakers knocked them all out. Uh, we shut jazz fans up as well because we made it to the finals and like, and, and our, in that finals run too, all the games were close. It, it sounded like we got blown out in a couple games and we just choked four games. All of them were close and just the Bucks, just everything just clicked at once. Not supposed and to so, stop Giannis when he's doing that. <laughs> Nobody can, but yeah. So like it, it, it just came down to circumstance. And it's not like, like, a book like fumbled a bag or anything it's just you know not everything was clicking but like as where i sit right now all the suns teams i've watched all the players that i've seen i'm more on the booker train than i am nash just because you see the dedication and loyalty that book has for the city of phoenix and he's put up with a lot more shit than nash has. Uh, like has i mean maybe besides the jason richardson thing but <laughs> but uh but uh, I'm just more on the Booker chain uh, and him be- being on that list, uh, the seventh youngest player to hit 10K. Look, look at the six other names and you like, like what else can you tell me? You know? So I, I, I'm more, uh, uh, I think book is like for sure in the top two, I'm not going to argue with someone that says Nash, but uh, if, if a gun was pointing to my head, I would say Booker. I don't think, and this is coming from a place of like literally witnessing it. I don't think Booker has captivated the city of Phoenix quite like Charles Barkley and Steve Nash has. Um, the Valley was crazy last year. I didn't experience that. So that could be part of it as wild. well, too. I'm it sure wild. it was wild. I mean, you see all the videos and the pictures and all that stuff. And it also was a COVID year. I don't know how much sway you can really bring that argument into it. But just from the outside looking in and then the inside being there, I haven't seen like the thing about Barkley and Nash is that they came in and made the impact right King away, like right away. MVP seasons, first years, uh, uh, Western Conference finals and finals run the very first year that they put on the uniform. I mean, when Barkley came in, it was the first year of the America West Arena, too, right? So that was that was a big thing as well. And you got the new jerseys with Barkley. So I think just the way that it popped off, people might still sway that way. But but with what Booker's doing and how consistent he is and how he plays and how he's, I don't want to call him a two-way player, but we're not calling him handicapped on offense anymore. Or on defense anymore. He's not a he's not a, a minus on defense by, by yeah. any stretch I think of the he's imagination. A two-way player. He made he made two blocks tonight. Yeah, and he's coming up with steals. I mean, he's picking dudes' pockets now. He's showing the energy. I'm not gonna quite call him a full two-way player, but I you know what you're he right, Amit. Why not? You, you you why not call him a two-way player? He he is now. He's not just that dude. And when I was on a couple of ASAP Sports Network shows. Shout out to our sponsor. We love everybody at ASAP Sports Network. They were saying Booker is just going to be that dude that's going to go get you buckets, and he's going to do a lot of iso ball. And he started talking. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. Booker does not just do iso ball. There are so many things in the offense that he does to get the shot off. 
He he rarely plays ISO ball ISO, now. He's yeah. always coming off of a pick and roll, right, y'all? He's always Dude, gonna come off of a screen. I saw him. Um, he was yelling at JaVale McGee to run down the court because he was screening his man for a lot. Yeah. And it was like he. I mean, and 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 the and the Valley Oop was created by Devin Booker. By B&B. Devin Booker, creating Same. creating the play, half second mismatch off a of zoo box. Yeah. So because I mean, everyone thinks it's going to go to him, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean he he is like I've I've seen it like I've watched this guy every game, I've watched most of his career, almost all of his career, and I've seen him evolve from, you know, being a shooter to being a playmaker off from off the bench a shooter. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He, being a guy coming off the bench to starting in his rookie season, to becoming the playmaker and the primary you know playmaker on the team and then you know him getting into all sorts of different types of battles with different players individually or with teams and now he's just a guy and i think that's what he's always been he just couldn't show it is that he's just he's just he's just a fucking assassin dude he just wants to win um and he'll do it any way he has to do it he just wants to win oh he's He's a showstopper. Like, uh, like if we're doing a player to player analysis between Nash and Booker, I think Book Book checks about everything over like over Nash because Nash was a liability on defense. Uh, yeah, his three his three point shot was very inconsistent. No, I'll, I'll I'll take Steve Nash shooting a basketball over Devin Booker prime any day of the week and twice on Sunday. I'll take that too. Yes, I'll, I'll say I'll say Nash and he said this too and and you know like when he was cathartic about playing with the Suns and with D'Antoni, he said, like, if he would have played the way Steph Curry played, like, we probably would have won the chip. Yep. I mean, he just, yeah, he just sure. didn't shoot yeah. as much as he dude, needed. Dude, he was one of the best shooting point guards of all time. He, like, I don't I don't think Booker compares to him as a pure shooter. As a pure shooter, dude, the, what Steve Nash did. I trust, if I, if I were to watch a game right now, I would want Steve Nash to have the ball in his hands and, and shoot the last shot. And so, right. and so kind of going, kind of going back, that's kind of why I still choose Steve Nash to a point, but at the same time, I got, it's just different. Nash was crafty y'all Nash yeah. could do weird things off of opposite foots and just be able to get dudes off. He had everybody on skates and there are a lot of times where Devin Booker will force things and turn it over and do some weird WTF things. He does do that. I rarely ever, ever saw Steve Nash do that. That's true. But at the same time, like the height difference and the way they just scored differently, right? Like he was very, Nash was crafty in, in the mid range. He kind of played that Chris Paul game where, you know, he has to have that fadeaway <laughs> jumper 12 footer. But, but if you're talking about Booker, he can score every single possible. He's a way. three level scorer for sure. Yeah. But, but not even just turn around, shoot the floater. You know the pull up, the the. the he's good with his left hand too. Finishing, by the, the way, he's hand. so good yeah. with his left hand. Yeah. But 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 Nash could could turn anything into a basket. I rarely saw Nash get in trouble. Right, he always kept his dribble alive. He always found the other person. I mean, granted, point guard versus shooting guard, different mentalities as well too, different style of offense as well. But I just rarely saw Nash do that and. I think there were more iconic Steve Nash games than Devin Booker games, but we've only had one winning season with Booker and the bubble. So 
again, give me two or three years. I'm probably going to change my mind. I'd also like to see Devin Booker just be like a unanimous vote in to the All-Star game. But he just might have that narrative where he's always going to receive all this hate as well, too. So I think I bring that into account a little bit. Um, And remember, when we got Steve Nash, we were coming off of Jason Kidd beating his wife and losing in the 2000 opening round like the I think it was the Kings or something maybe that was 2001 and then we traded Stefan Marbury and that was absolutely garbage but we somehow pulled out the playoffs lost to the eighth seed the very next year we do nothing and then we get Steve Nash right so a little bit different as opposed to Nash or Nash excuse me Booker being drafted here staying here there is a little lore with Steve Nash being drafted, traded, then coming back, kind of like a Goran Dragic thing. But Booker yeah. staying as well, too, through the the thick and thin, and then coming out on the other side. I take a lot into that consideration. But if Booker had more playoff appearances or, or top five MVP vote or unanimous starting for an MVP – we could have a different conversation right now, but for right now, I'm just going to stick with Steve Nash. But that gap is closing and closing quick. Seventh player to 10,000. That's incredible. You're talking KD, Magic, MJ, LeBron, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, I'm sure, and there are Larry Bird or something like that. You're talking uh, Steph Curry. You're talking amazing, amazing players that changed the way basketball is played. I want to add one more thing uh, just uh, to this conversation, but um, I got uh, into a little Twitter thing with uh, a couple people. Uh, it was uh, the Zach Levine uh, uh, sort of love, like the Zach Levine over Booker, Donovan Mitchell over Booker. Uh, it, it was like a stupid fucking thing like that. Uh, but Oh, um, been in many of those. Oh, yeah, by, so- by, by, the, by the way, LeBron, Kevin Durant, Kobe, Carmelo, Tracy McGrady, Giannis, Booker crazy list but um yeah like uh so it's like when you really break down the guard position in the west or even expand it to the east when you look at stats like they can definitely say a lot like the zach levine guy i was arguing with like he's a freaking tool (laughs) like he is so delusional about what he's uh, watching with zach levine because zach levine yeah he can score 48 but he's doing it on 32 shots so like I like he's not the best shooter. I like Zach Levine, but he's just not as he's never made the playoffs. Diverse. Yeah, he's never made the playoffs. He's not as diverse as Book. He's not as lethal as Booker. And his main point was that um, how many fifty-point games does Booker have? Uh, and I'm all like, Booker scored seventy, and he's like had a bunch of forty. He point scored games forty-eight like, in the first round of the playoffs in a closeout game. That's all you need exactly. to know. Yeah, exactly. And he had back-to-back 40s in the finals. And, and how many playoff appearances <laughs> does Zach Levine have? Exactly. And then it was the same thing with the Donovan Mitchell guy. Um, Zach came book. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I didn't know what that emoji was at first. No, but, <laughs> no, but, 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 like, I mean, here's the thing. Like, we don't know what Zach Levine can do in the playoffs because we haven't seen him there. That's kind of the argument. I, I kind of see the argument because that was what we were saying about – people were saying about book. 100%. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, so I get know. it. We don't. Know. It, it's the it's the eye test at the end of the day because the stuff that we kill book about, you know, him make kind of making like dumb decisions and like just chucking the ball up and getting himself caught up in situations. Levine is times ten of that. Like, yeah, he, he's he's forcing it. He's turnover. He's low key close to Westbrook when it comes to turnovers. 
and he he's sloppy and i don't know if it's just because he's been solo dolo for so long but like like only time will tell i like zach levine he's a great player i do too, i like yeah. donovan i like donovan too uh, like i just wish he wasn't on utah i think he's a good player but it, it's just like at, like don't be blinded by what like well, like Sports Center is saying the first take is saying like like whatever. Just I mean, if you like, want to make the comparison, you go look at their efficiency year on year. Every single yeah. year, Booker's gotten better and more efficient with everything in his game. So Book, that's how you make the comparison. Levine, you look at Donovan. all those players. Did they get more efficient? I know Donovan Mitchell has gotten better, but he's they're averaging the exact same turnovers right now. Two point seven for what it's worth. Zach Levine was drafted one year before. Turnover wise, I mean, to start his career, two and a half, 1.9, 1.8, 1.8. And then it jumped up when he went to Chicago, 3.4, 3.4, 3.5 last year, now 2.7, 2.7 for his career. Uh, Booker's at 3.2, y'all. Booker had 2.1, 3.1, 3.6, 4.1 in 18, 19, 3.8, 3.1 last year, and 2.7 this year. So to speak to Ahmed's point, they are the efficiency is definitely getting there. The the funny thing that I kind of want to bring into is the field goal percentage. I think that's a big thing as well too. Levine beats Booker in both field goal and three point field goal percentages as well. So just kind of keep that in mind. But Book does have him on rebounds and assists as well too. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the raw numbers, but like I would Damn, I would Book's look, averaging a steal a game this year for the first time in his career, by the way. Exactly. I mean, I would just I would look deeper into it, look at like, you know, you know, box plus minus EPM, those numbers. Like I think that's where Booker his I mean, he's improved every year in terms of, you know, his usage versus like points per points per possession, that sort of thing. I, I mean, I don't know that much about Zach Levine other than he looks he's talented. I've seen him put up big numbers and, and have efficient games again in really big games, but I haven't seen his team win that much other than this year. And, you know, he's surrounded with some players now that, that make him a little bit more optional to go one-on-one or just run a pick and roll, yeah. um, you know, with DeMar DeRozan and these other guys, he can do that sort of thing. But, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what they do in the playoffs because they, yeah. they are a playoff team. They are a legit playoff yes, team. Yes, I was saying, yeah. Um, I want to I want to share this with you guys. I don't know if anybody saw this tonight. Share screen. This is from the Dallas Mavericks Sacramento Kings game tonight. I don't know if anybody saw oh, this. Let's just uh shout out IT. Let's just take a take, take a watch. Is that Fox? Bang. For the dub. Nice. Wide open in the corner. What was that? There was watch it one more time. Team. Who was that? Who took the shot? De'Aaron Fox going down. Dwight Powell hit? sinks down. Dwight. So Powell. watch, watch Dwight Powell. He was supposed to be guarding the good. What a collapse! He had Why a wide. It was. Down? It was. De'Aaron Fox had him beat. If that, if Dwight Powell doesn't sink down, De'Aaron Fox has a bucket right there. Watch. But isn't there two down? He's got a block? clear lane oh, no, to the path. Oh yeah, yeah. What was that? He didn't have a choice. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad defensive possession. I just wanted to share that. Um, we're going on an hour and 45 minutes on this podcast, and I have no problem doing that tonight because I don't have a job to go to tomorrow anymore, which I'm <laughs> ecstatic about. But I kind of want to roll through some NBA. Oh, I had it up. Some NBA scores here with y'all. Uh, let me make this bigger so everyone can see a little better. There we go. So obviously the Phoenix Suns finally pulled off a W, which – 
I I personally needed one. I really needed a win tonight. I just needed to feel that comfort of having that W by that and having the score or the uh, standings go up a little bit, especially after Golden State losing last night. Um, Knicks beat the Pistons and they're clawing back to 500. Meanwhile, Pistons are five and 28 and looking at a top three pick right now. Hornets starting to make a couple moves. They're two games over 500, 116 to 108. Clippers pull away against the Celtics, 91 to 82. Clippers are finally above 500, and Marcus Morris returns for 23 and 10. Speaking of the Bulls, 131 to 117 over the Hawks. Trey Young had 26 points, but Nikola Vooch, 16 points and 20 boards. 20 this boards for him. Hawks are in trouble, man. Oh, Hawks yeah. are in real trouble. Hawks are in trouble. With the, the Bulls Hawks, are good. Man. They're just, it's just, it's not last year. And it's a new coach and Nate McMillan going through a full year. It, this is the growing pains. I expect them to make a run at the end, though. I really do. Grizzlies beating the Lakers. Ja Morant, 41 points and 10 boards. After that travel last night or two nights ago which we won't get into he comes out and just puts away the lakers which every phoenix suns fan will enjoy the jazz without donovan mitchell go up and they take one for the blazers 120 to 105 rudy gobert with 14 boards damian lillard with only 32 points not enough and then the kings upset the mavericks lol mavericks lol lakers and the heat spurs unfortunately postponed due to covid so here we are right before the beginning of the year. We went through our, our all of the stuff going on with the league, and we pulled up our what we thought was going to happen at the beginning of the season. But this is when teams are starting to turn it on, and they really need to, to turn it on. Unfortunately, we're dealing with freaking COVID. So we're going to be dealing with a lot of messy standings, meaning, what, 5 through 11, 12 is just going to be nothing but muck in each conference. And... COVID is really taking a toll on these teams, man, and it's sacrificing the integrity of the game. I hate it, but damn, it's it's really frustrating to this. So I know we got to move on. We've got a little personal conversation we got to take up for the next uh, five minutes here, and we need to talk about a top three mafia movie. We were on Twitter last night. I think we texted a few times of some of the top mafia movies we have, and I don't care what anybody says. Godfather is number one for me no matter what. I absolutely love The Godfather. Number one, there's nothing better than that. I mean, I could go upstairs and watch that right now. I love The three, Godfather. Three hours? I, I would go watch that. I, I would take out the opening scene where they're all dancing and whatnot. Yeah. But I love that movie. After further deliberation, I love Scarface. Scarface was, it's, I mean, it's one of the first true gangster movies that I really remember. And I don't know if I have a third one. So I want to hear what, what your takes are. And JJ, this was kind of your topic. So go for it. Take, uh, take yes. the floor just real quick. And then we'll get out uh, of here. Uh, yeah. So uh, last night uh, I was uh, re-watching The Irishman. Uh, I, heated, I fried myself up some tamales and eggs, sat down and just started eating. And I was re-watching this movie. And I'm like, God, this movie is so goddamn good. And I just started thinking about uh, just all the other mafia movies. And and I tweeted, like, in my opinion, The Irishman is a top three mafia movie. And then Amit, uh, you know, he slid on, on uh, you know, the comment. It was all like, what are the other two? A couple of question marks. I'm like, oh, man, I have some heat on me now. 
And so <laughs> I answered with uh, Scarface and uh, The Departed. If you haven't seen The Departed, one of the best movies ever, in my opinion. Uh, but like uh, then we got into a conversation about are we going to group together the uh, like the Italian mafia movies and like hood movies like Menace to Society, uh, Boys in the Hood. Mob, um, mob, mafia, yeah. straight mob. Yeah. Yeah, like straight mob. Okay, so if we're doing straight mob, you know, like I'm a big Scarface guy. I like I the Irishman is a great movie, even though how long it is, it's like three hours and it's like three and a half hours, and it does not feel that way. Uh, the cast is amazing. The writing is incredible, and and then the the Departed, you know, Leo's best performance to me. Jack Nicholas kills it, and Matt Damon, you know, just hearing him with a strong Boston accent. And him just being the way that he was in that movie is incredible. You so, are not a cop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, those are my top three personally. The Godfather is like, I, like I love the story, but I never connected to the movies that, in that sense uh, of me putting it at one. Goodfellas is a great one as well. And Ahmed, would you call Heat a mob movie? I, I guess, you know, when you called like it a heist you. movie, it, it made more sense because then I started thinking about the town because I think the town is another the town awesome is a great movie, one. But town that's is a heist, heist movie, movie for sure. Yeah. I, OK, uh, I take that back. Number three is Road to Perdi- Road to Perdition for me. That's a good one. That's a good one. I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen that one. But I, I just Irishman being in the top three is just really hard to digest, man, especially like so like to me, I think Casino is is the one that you got to go back and rewatch on that one. Cause that, that is top two. So Cas- good. Casino. I had, I had a hard time putting it, I've seen it, but like, go see it again. Been, yeah. Like it's been a couple years since I've seen it. When I watched it, I was like, this movie is really, really good. But like, yeah, there's something about the Irishman I really connect to. It's just a storytelling. And it's like, you're talking to your grandfather and he's just telling you like everything that's happened. You, and it was just but, like this but the thing is the guys in those movies are the same guys in the movies we're talking oh, about oh, except they're in their prime. Exactly. That's how great they are. That's how great they are. And that's, same with crazy. that's a thousand. Man. So that do you consider, do you consider American, whole... do you consider yeah. American gangster, a mafia movie or like a, a streets movie? Uh, you would have to group it into hood movie, right? Because it's not strictly mob mafia. But they touch but on it's... the mob. They touch on mafia. Oh yeah, yeah they, they do. Yeah, they do, huh? I don't know. That's I, hard. I like I like American Gangster more than I like The Irishman, honestly. Yeah. And I like yeah. Casino too. I mean, but, and I like I, Road to Perdition. From from my so, list, yeah, I mean, is good. Goodfellas is my all time favorite. Like Goodfellas is my all time favorite. Goodfellas is amazing. Um, just everything about it, it, it just drew me into the whole like watching all those movies. Um, but yeah, man, I, it, it, like American Gangster is definitely better than Irishman. Like that's definitely. A better I, I don't movie. know. I don't know, man. It's <laughs> and the CGI, like, man. They had to CGI these guys' faces to make them look young for the movie. That's distracting. Yeah, I I, I honestly was having a hard time with that throughout throughout the whole thing. But that's just that's just me. It didn't really bother me like that. I was just, you know, watching it. But I mean, American Gangster is kind of hard to argue with. But love that movie. It's a great movie, and there's so many good mob movies. Uh, Like it's like 
there isn't really if, a you ever, if you've ever seen a, bron- a bronx tale go see a bronx tale la confidential is a damn good one as well too that's i think that might be more of a police move i don't know yeah you could have like that one, yeah. yeah that's good and then there's another one i'm trying to think of that's a big one that i'm just not remember i mean godfather 2 is is better than uh irishman in my in my opinion the second one's better than the first in my opinion uh that's what they say. They say I, yeah. I haven't seen either Godfather. Don't don't get at me at that. I just cannot sit through those. What? Movies, dude. <laughs> I cannot sit through them. I sit could, through I it one time. I tried, man. I tried. I fell asleep. Couldn't do it. Um, it, it but good. I, I know. Man. That's why. Like I would always. Yeah. So when I talk about my movies, I, I take the general population and say I know that those two movies are considered two of the greatest movies, not just of this genre but movies of all time. So mm-hmm. I have to go with the popular opinion and count those in my top five, even though I don't know where to rank them. God, Scarface is so good. I haven't seen that in a long time. I might go check that. So that's been our debate on, on mafia movies. Take it or leave it. We all kind of agree that there's a consensus here. Uh, what, what do we say? Casino's up there. Road of Perdition's up there. Irishman is up there. Uh, Casino, I think I already just said anyways. Godfather. So and Martin uh, Scorsese directs it. Just know it's going to be up there. You know, it, it, if you watch a certain movie at a certain time from him, it's going to be up there. Yeah. Appreciate it, Alonzo. Appreciate you. Appreciate Iverson Vlogs coming in. We appreciate Roy coming in. We appreciate everybody. And I hope everybody here has an absolute wonderful New Year's Eve and we all have awesome plans. Go check out the Arizona State Bowl game tomorrow. We got a Suns game Sunday night and Friday night. Big Cardinals game Sunday night. Come check us out. He's on Fire Podcast. See you guys later. See you guys. Looking, throws an alley.